Comics Monthly Monday number six. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! Two! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Sheep flying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. No, blah, blah, blah. All right, we're back, and it's another Comic Monthly Monday. I think we're in the sixth month of Comic Monthly Mondays. And uh, we got a new uh, episode with uh, an issue of The Swamp Thing, an issue of The Walking Dead, as usual. And uh, and I'm here with my co-host, Scott Gardner. Hey! Who's actually reads a ton of comics, so he'll have some comics that he's been reading to talk about. I'm oh, gonna, yeah. I'm just going to sort of go over some of the comics I'm getting ready to read. <laughs> I've, been, I've been reading a lot of comics, but they've mostly been ones like... Um, um, that are associated with some of our other shows, like the Star Wars show, where we read this, you know, I've been reading Star Wars comics for that, and uh, I just found, which you just reviewed a couple, I don't know if it was last time or the time before, I think it was last time, last month, and were some Clone Wars comics that have just come out, and I found, uh, in cleaning my room, I found the first three issues of that, which I bought and haven't bothered to read, so... No, are are these the little trades or what? What is? What no, are these? these are these are the the regular sized uh, ones. Uh, what the first one has a beautiful painted cover of uh, Anakin and Ahsoka watching a bunch of Federation ships. Or, okay, or, um, yeah, that you're gonna like that. That's a good series. Yeah, the art looks really nice in it, and I've got so I've got the first three of those to read, and I've got the first four issues of Army at Love. The Rick Vage, the first four issues of the second second quote season unquote of Army at Love, which I'm really looking forward to reading. I read the first one, but it was a, a couple months ago, so I'm gonna have to reread it. And what else do I got? I've got some uh, Hernandez Brothers comics. Who I'm a I'm a big fan of the Hernandez Brothers who did uh the the Love and Rockets series. And, I, and there's there's still a Love and Rockets coming out, but they've got a couple other you know, comics coming up, and uh, I've got a couple of the collected one. One's New Tales of Old Palomar, and uh, what's the other one? I think it's just a Love and Rockets collection. Let me take a look here. Yeah, it's just Love and Rockets new stories, and they're both sort of collections. Nicely, nicely bound. One's sort of more like a smaller sized trade size, and the other one's an oversized comic size, but it's got a dust cover on it. Very strange, like a heavy cardboard dust cover. It's very strangely made. Neat 
neat looking comic. I, I really like their stuff. It's very weird and abstract in a way that I like. But that's sort of that's sort of all I've got going besides, you know, my walking deads, reading the swamp things, reading some uh some Star Trek comics which uh we'll be talking about in another show that we'll be taping later tonight, which I'm looking forward to. Cool. So my my comic reading has since since we started doing this podcast has increased probably like five hundred percent. My evil plan so, is working. So there you go. You can rest easy now. <laughs> my evil plan is working. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna drag you kicking and screaming back into the uh, world of comic books. Uh, it's it's too <laughs> late, and I'm already I'm already sinking back into Star Trek and deeper into Star Wars and. Yeah, you cannot <laughs> escape from Nerd World. We will hunt you down and drag you back. Are you supposed? To, are you supposed to like move away from this stuff as you get older and not move no. towards it? I guess. Oh not. my God, I've been putting up with that shit all my life. <laughs> when, are gonna, when are you gonna grow up? When are you gonna stop reading comic books? Well, the answer to that is never. <laughs> when are you gonna go pound salt up your ass? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'd like to say. Well, see, it's usually parents and and, right. and, and parents in law that are saying these things. So right. I, I I don't really want to <laughs> say that, but that's pretty much what I'm thinking when I hear those type of things. <laughs> so, uh, wow. Well, I, I hate to say it. I guess I'm going to bogart a lot of the beginning of this uh, this uh, getting into this episode because I've that's just okay. got a ton of stuff to cover here, but. Uh, Right off the bat, I want to get a give a quick shout out to a show you should be listening to if you're not. I just discovered it through our good friend Green Captain on the forum, um, Eric, who's been a guest on our show several times. It's a uh, show I know called which one. Alternate Reality. Yeah, you're listening to this too, right? Yeah, and it's hard to get me to listen to anything. And yeah, I like these guys, you know, because they remind me of us. <laughs> yeah, exa- that's exactly why I like them. They do. They remind me an awful lot of us. And I, I do. I really enjoy their show. It's very informative. It's a lot of fun. You know, they're just. Uh, I, I like the the rapport they've got going, and I like the uh, the opinions that they've got going. Yeah. You know, they're a lot like us. They're, they're just like they us. have their opinions. They're not. You know, afraid to voice them. They're not afraid to not toe the fanboy line and have their own unique opinions, and and they stick by them. And they usually come up with a way to to you know sort of half-ass justify them. And and you know they are. They're a lot like us. And I I'm really enjoying the show. And uh, what's neat is you know I just started listening to them with uh, with episode 208, and they're at like I think like 216 or something right now. Uh-huh. I'm not that far yet. I'm still getting caught up. But uh, I mean, in in like the you know in like the four or five episodes I've listened to, I've already heard us plugged like three times. So I thought oh, that was so pretty... yeah, we gotta plug them back then. Well, it's not that that is. I was just just gonna say that is not why I'm plugging them though. I'm plugging them because I really yeah. enjoy the show. It has nothing to do with the fact that they've plugged us. I mean, I appreciate it. I think that's awesome. But I was just mentioning that you know that that they plugged us. But I'm plugging them. Because I enjoy the show. If I didn't enjoy the show, if I didn't think it was worth your time, you know, I don't care if they you know did nothing but said two true freaks for an hour. I I wouldn't plug them. I right. think they're worth listening to. So, you know, check oh, yeah. them out. Well, that's how I first I heard of them through uh, Green Cap too, because he went to um, what was it MegaCon? He went to a convention yeah. and met up with them. So I listened to the show because he was sort of like a guest star on the show. So I started, and that and that was sort of what got me into listening to it, and then. The next show was them ranting and raving, and which I guess is one of their more popular shows. 
and uh, that, yeah, that's two oh eight. That's the one that I I started with. And then I and then I saw a link to that show, and I went to listen to it. And said, "Oh yeah, I know who these guys are. I just listened to one of their shows, and from that that was what pretty much got me going." Yeah, the one that uh, the MegaCon one's the one I just finished. That's like I think that's like two thirteen. That's the one I just finished listening to today. So I'm getting slowly caught up because there's I don't listen to near as many shows as I used to anymore because I just don't have the time. But they're one that you know I'm definitely making a point to to seek them out and listen to them. And one of these days we'll we'll sit and we'll do. I mean we can't do a whole show on it because I don't listen to that many anymore. But we'll we'll do like a segment on on the shows that we listen to or, or whatever the shows we try to keep up on just to you know give everybody the proper shout outs and stuff like that. But that'll be for another day because I'm not prepared for that at the moment. Um, another two quick um, just things. I was going to say news items are not so much news items. It's just little, I don't know, things I want to get off my chest. For one, um, I'm putting out a psychotic eBayer alert. You can learn more about this over at our forum, which is at thecomicforums.com. Just scroll on down the page until you find uh, Two True Freaks. That's our forum. Go in and look for a, a thread called Psychotic eBayer Alert. And just read up on this complete asshole who uh, screwed me over on a deal on eBay. I just think everybody should be aware of this guy and stay well clear of him because he's nuts in the head. Um, and that's all I want to waste time on that. Um, <laughs> the other one, I just want to go into a quick rant about something. And uh, this uh -oh. person will remain nameless, but it's not too hard to figure out who the hell I'm talking about. There is a certain political figure that is getting a very public blowjob by everybody in the media these days, and now it's bleeded, uh, bled over into the comic book world, and I'm totally sick and fucking tired of this person, and I wish that, you know, comic books, I read comic books you know, first and foremost, as they are my form of escapism from the real world. You know, I don't want to read about real world things. I don't want to read about, you know... They're just generating collector's items. They're making well, collector's items. Well, it's not... Yeah, I know, but I'm, I'm tired of it. And, you know, and they really... know people are going to buy them and be... And even the stu even the people who don't like comics will buy them and be like, I got the comic book with... <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Shit. Did I say his name? Was that? Uh, I'm, I didn't we're going to have to bleep it. that out because I'm not putting his name. I'm okay. not plugging him on okay. this show. I'm not putting the name out there. I didn't mean to I'm say it. Saying, <laughs> but you know, they're going to go. There's a political figure that I just, I'm sick to death yeah, of. And they're going to be like, and I've got 10 copies of Wanga Wanga's cover on, you know, whatever, right. on Spider-Ham number 279 or whatever. So. I'm just putting it out there for the big two because this is primarily – well, it's not just them actually because uh, there was a certain book over at Image Comics that uh, had this person in it. And uh, as much as I love the title, I dropped it. I'm tired of the politics in comics. I'm tired of you know just – I don't know. The, the way things are going with that whole thing, it irritates me to no end. I feel alienated with, when these kind of things happen and – Right along with the three ninety nine price hike, I'm not aboard with this person being all over the place in my comics. So, you know, Marvel, DC, Image. I hope you guys are listening because you put this guy in your in your books, and uh, I'm I'm dropping the title or whatever. I'm just I'm not on board with it. I'm sick of it. You know, if I want to see this person, I'll turn the nightly news on or or CNN or whatever. I don't need to see him in my comic books too. I was just waiting for the Pope comic number two to come out, man. I'm still waiting for it. It's pissing me off. 
They put All out right. number. They put out number one of the life of the Pope, and now he's dead. And they haven't even put out number two yet. Come on, guys. I'm I'm telling you, I'm Get still waiting. That for, shit. There, there's a new There's a new uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance game going to be coming out later this year, and John Paul II damn well better be in the game because his book, his one shot. Was right. one of the best-selling comics of the '80s. Right. So I think the Pope deserves to be so you in could, Ultimate Alliance too. So you could conceivably have the Pope fighting Night Nurse. <laughs> now that would be awesome. Hell with that! I want the Pope versus Galactus, man. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> well, I think the Eater of Planets might actually, uh, yeah, could actually do pretty good against a Pope. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, I have some comics I want to talk about. Imagine that shit. I have a question. Does Galactus shit in the woods? I guess it's a rhetorical question. You don't really have. <laughs> and if he does, what is it like? Super heavy mat- black hole matter? Anyway, just you know something. What would be awesome, though, is like if the Enterprise deflector does not work on shit. So they're like trucking along at like warp seven and they just plow into a giant Galactus turd. <laughs> that's kind of messed up <laughs> that would be yeah that, that could be that could be where life on earth how life on earth began oh i don't want to think about that on the fertile soil of galactus's loaf oh. <laughs> galactus's loaf that sounds like a a good name for a band doesn't it galactus's, galactus's loaf. loaf i like that <laughs> all right anyway, anyway. All this talk recently of of what's going on in the Superman titles, of which I am not on board any of that shit. I dumped it when it got really stupid and silly, and they started to do all kinds of wackiness that I just don't enjoy. However, there's one thing going on right now with all that that I don't regret not reading it, but it got me nostalgic about something and that's the thing going on in i couldn't tell you if it's it's action or superman but one of the superman titles right now has brought brought back the characters by the names of nightwing and flamebird and they're not the same ones i remember but they're they're kind of similar but anyway it got me kind of you know waxing nostalgic about you know when i was reading comics as a kid and in the pages of superman family uh, there were basically Superman family was an anthology book and it would, it would have all kinds of different characters in it. Every, every issue. Well, for a while, Nightwing and Flamebird had a strip in Superman family. So I did a little bit of research and it turned out that I have damn near every one of their appearances and didn't even realize it because they first appeared in Superman family number 183 and that strip stopped running at, uh, I think it was 194. And I found out that I only lack like three issues. So I've been working on tracking down the issues. And anyway, I thought, you know, for the next couple of uh, Comic Monthly Monday shows, I'd kind of do little recaps, mostly just on that Nightwing and Flamebird strip, because I really enjoyed it and I wanted to revisit it. Um, because, you know, the new incarnation of them is getting so much attention in the comics and everything. And like I said, I'm not on board with it, but I do like the concept of the characters. I enjoyed the original ones. So anyway, just wanted to kind of touch a little bit. And I'm just going to cover just the first three appearances, basically, in, in the pages of Superman Family. So anyway, the first one is uh, Superman 183. Now, this has a cover on it, gorgeous, gorgeous cover by Neil Adams. And this is a cover I can remember, Chris, when we were kids. I'm sure you're going to remember this cover. Uh-huh. 
This is the one I always thought it was a great cover, but I remember you looking at it as a kid and saying, "Wow, Superman sounds retarded or something," because it's the one where <laughs> Lois is she's she's kneeling on her bed. She she looks all freaked out, and the bed's like floating in the sky, and this giant transparent Superman is going, "Lois, help Superman!" And he's got like his arms spread out. You remember oh the yes. <laughs> Yeah, I remember his, uh, when we were kids, you were like, what's wrong with him? He sounds like he's stupid or something. He's talking but... about himself in the third person, you know? Yeah, like Hulk style, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <clears throat> let's see. Going into this, we have... Uh, all right, this particular issue has tales of such characters as Supergirl. Um, and in her particular story was kind of cool because uh, we find out that the Phantom Zone can be ripped open by a jet uh, jet plane flying too fast. Yeah. Um, there was a strangely charming Crypto the Superdog story. There were also stories with Perry White, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Lois Lane. Now, beyond the Supergirl and the Crypto stories, I usually don't read anything else that, that's in these. You know, I just... I realized that Jimmy Olsen had a long, long run in the comics. I mean, he had his his comic series, and I couldn't quote you exact numbers, but it went well over a hundred issues. I mean, it ran for a long time, and if I'm not mistaken, eventually mutated into what became Superman Family. So I think Superman Family basically picked up the run, the number run from what was Jimmy Olsen. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Anyway, Jimmy Olsen ran for a long time, and I just think, Jimmy Olsen, how the hell did that character maintain his own title for, for five minutes, let alone for ten or, or better years? I, I just He just doesn't interest me as a character, so... You know, I you know I, I try not to be disrespectful for you know comics that have lengthy runs or what, but I look at these some of these stories in here with yeah, like Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, I wonder Olsen, about that too. Like, I, I just can't see how in the hell did they maintain their own title? But uh, I guess kids I don't know. wanted to be Superman's pal, so they identified with him. You know, or that you That's, know there was a the kids who didn't want to be Superman. I guess could read Jimmy Olsen and fantasize about Superman being their friend. I guess you know I try to I try to look it over anyway though because you know they they typically have at least they usually have good art or serviceable art like this one has art the Jimmy Olsen part has art, uh, art by Kurt Scha uh, Schaffenberger who uh -huh. I always did like when he did like New Adventures of Superboy and stuff like that it was just that kind of kitty art you know that yeah it was simple almost like a Richie Rich style and somehow that stuff really appealed to me when I was a kid you know it's just it, it's what you when I think of like kid-friendly comics, it's the kind of image that comes to mind. Yeah. But anyway, what I wanted to talk about in this issue, of course, was the uh, Nightwing and Flamebird. All right. So anyway, the Nightwing and Flamebird strip begins, you know, as a regular feature with this issue. This particular uh, story here is written by Kurt, or excuse me, by Paul Cooperberg, with art by Carl Potts and Al Milgram. In this story, we're introduced to the new version of what is basically a Candorian dynamic duo. Um, you know, they're complete with a nightmobile and a night cave. Now, originally, Superman and Jimmy Olsen were Nightwing and Flamebird. So this isn't the first appearance of characters named Nightwing and Flamebird or even, you know, of, of the Candorian uh, version. What this is is the first appearance of the new Nightwing and Flamebird, which basically what happens, we find out a little bit later that we get an origin story. But basically... The scientist Van Z, who is Superman's Kryptonian doppelganger, 
and his assistant, this guy named Akvar, are the new Nightwing and Flamebird. And we'll get into it a little bit later how they fell into that role. This one here has kind of a complicated plot. It involves Brainiac, who, you know, you'll remember in Silver Age continuity, he's responsible for Kandor being in the bottle in the first place. You know, he he shrank it down, put it in a bottle, and took off in his spaceship, you know, before Krypton exploded. Well, the the plot here is that he's going to rig the door to the Fortress of Solitude so that when Superman comes home from a hard day of gathering extraterrestrial plants and smashing space rocks, he's going to trigger this device that will destroy Kandor and its inhabitants. It'll basically blow up the bottle city. The reason that he's doing this, I guess, is he wants to demoralize Superman and he believes that this will drive Superman nuts with grief. I don't know. I think it's kind of a goofy plan, but that's basically the plot with yeah, this. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a tenuous, but okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that that describes a lot of plots in the Silver Age, I think. Well, needless to say, Nightwing and Flaybird, you know, they come in, they save the day in the typical, you know, that really strange, we're out of the bottle, but not quite tiny, but not quite normal size thing that they seem to do all the time back in the day. It was weird with the Kandorians. Every time they were out of the bottle, they were like, uh, you know, they weren't quite action figure size, but they weren't microscopic like they probably should be either. You know, the people could see them. And maybe like hold them in the palm of their hand or so. So it was weird. It was like they enlarged, but just a little bit. It was I don't know. It was odd. They, but they did that kind of stuff a lot in uh, in these Kandorian stories, especially when they'd get out of the bottle or whatever. It's like the size was never consistent somehow. Anyway, it's you know it's a good tale with a, you know it's got nice art and everything, and it's a nice introduction to the new uh, Nightwing and Flamebird. Um. And incidentally, I noticed earlier in the Supergirl story, the Kryptonian chick that Supergirl fights in her solo adventure in that book smashes right through the big golden door to the Fortress of Solitude, which seems really inconsistent to me. And I know this is really nitpicky, but in the Phantom Zone series that was several years later that came out right around the time that Superman 2 the movie came out, it took several of these Phantom Zone guys using the giant key as a battering ram to smash into the fortress. So, like I said, it's nitpicky, but it kind of jumped out at me when I saw it. I was like, whoa, that chick did it all by herself. All right, anyway, moving on to Superman Family number 184. Another gorgeous cover by uh, Neil Adams with Superman looking you know, pretty scary. He gets really pissed off for some reason with the prankster because the prankster is putting pennies in his ears. I don't know what the deal is with that, but it's just it's somehow it's I know really that pisses hilarious. me off when people do that <laughs> to no end. In Quarters, this, uh, okay, you know, I can profit from that, but pennies, come on, they're not even worth their own weight. It's a, it's just funny, though, because it looks like Superman's just going to, I mean, he's really flipping out. It's like the veins are sticking out in his neck and everything. I mean, he's like super pissed. Which is always scary to me. Seeing Superman lose his temper somehow has always been a frightening image to me. I don't know why. Well, could, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I don't. There's no mystery to that. He could <laughs> vaporize people if he got, you know, if he wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, let me see. I lost my place here. Where the hell was I? Okay, Superman 184. Okay, so. Uh, all right, in this issue, we get more of the usual crew. We get Supergirl in her fir- in the first part of a fairly interesting story called uh, The Visitors from the Void. Um, this particular issue, we get a recap of her origin, which is kind of cool. 
Um, and it also, it, it was the first time I can re recall kind of seeing the whole Supergirl family touched on in, in one whole story. We get to see, you know, both her adoptive parents, the Danvers, and her Kryptonian parents, which, you know, unlike Superman, her parent, her parents, her her adoptive parents and her real biological parents were all alive at the same point, you know? So it's like they, you know, they actually could have like gotten all together for like Christmas or something, you know, her, like she had her whole family. Whereas Superman, you know, in the, in the silver age, you know, by the time he was an adult, both his, you know, his biological parents had died in the destruction of Krypton. And then his uh, foster parents, you know, they died, you know, by the time he was you know grown up. Um, but Supergirl strangely had two sets of parents, so it, I always thought it was really strange. But this was the first time I could recall ever seeing them all together in one story, so I thought that was kind of weird. Um, there's also a, a Superman solo story in here: Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Crypto, the Superdog, and uh, you know, and then of course what I'm reading the the book for: Nightwing and Flaybird. In this issue, Nightwing and Flaybird, you know, again they're written by uh, by Paul uh, Cooperberg. This one has art by Ken Landra, Landgraf and Romeo Tangal. Now, this Ken Landgraf, I don't think I've seen anything by him before, but I actually, I kind of dug the art in this one. Um, now, this story was really good, I thought. It was. It almost gave me kind of a, a Star Wars, the Clone Wars vibe, because it deals with the beginnings of what could become an outright civil war within the Bottle City. Um, it seems that there are some separatists that aren't content to live inside the bottle and they want to, you know, basically feel the sun on their faces and, you know, the breeze through their hair and, you know, live free of the fear that one day their entire world may be, be redeemed for five cents at the local mini mart. <laughs> so, you know, the tale is kind of bland, you know, lots of political intrigue that isn't pulled off very well. And, you know, it, it has a promising beginning, though. And it looked like things were, were shaping up to have Nightwing and Flamebird actually take opposite sides in this issue. Sadly, that all falls flat. It has your typical Silver Age ending to it where they're still, you know, bosom chums by the end of the tale. And they even kind of yuck it up a little bit. You know, Nightwing says something to the effect of... Uh, you know, that we're going to remain in the bottle for, you know, quite some time to come, old chum, or something that, to that effect. And, you know, they're, they're all smiles and buddy-buddy at the end of it. And I'm thinking, you know, this makes them happy, you know, knowing that they're going to live in this stupid bottle for, you know, years to come. I mean, I would think that that would really suck. And I, I just, I wish that they had kind of followed through on the beginning of the, of the story. You know, Nightwing, Nightwing's very much... A Silver Age Batman, you know, he's very much the you know, let's go get him, old chum kind of guy. And and Flamebird is actually to me, he's a lot. He seems very similar to what Dick Grayson would be as Robin about the time he was going to quit Robin altogether, and he eventually became the character Nightwing. So he's he seems sometimes he seems a little rebellious, and and like he doesn't exactly want to to just be, you know, the loyal sidekick. So in the beginning of this story, you know, there's a lot of tension. There's a part where he actually gets a little bit pissed off with Nightwing. And it looks like he's kind of favoring the separatists in their argument. And it's really a shame. I, I guess maybe it's just because of the, you know, these are short little, uh, you know, just a few page stories. You know, they're, they're part of an anthology book. So maybe they just didn't have, 
the length of story to really go into it. And most of these stories don't really carry over from issue to issue. They're pretty much one and done every issue. But it still would have been nice to see them actually, you know, maybe be at odds with each have other. But then again, conflict. Yeah. yeah but, but then again, I mean, this is the only the second appearance of these guys. So maybe they didn't want to do that right out, out of the gate, you know, have them, you know, have any any tension in their team or anything like that. But it still would have been kind of interesting. But it was a good story. Um, moving right along, last one I'm going to review for today is a Superman Family 185. Again, fantastic cover by Neil Adams. This one's really cool to me because it has Jimmy Olsen of all people. You know, Jimmy Olsen, who I consider to be just, I don't know. I don't want to diss the guy, but I've never been a Jimmy Olsen fan. Anyway, he's whooping ass on Superman on the cover of this thing, and it just kills me because he's doing one of these, like, master of kung fu-like maneuvers where he's kicking Superman in the face, and it's, like, it's really odd-looking to begin with, although it's beautiful because it's drawn by Neil Adams. But at the same rate, I'm just thinking, you know, how humiliating would this be for Superman to get his ass kicked by Jimmy Olsen? I mean, I'd rather beat by like crazy quilt or the angle man or something that's pretty fucking embarrassing yeah, it's, to get your ass it's like it's Jimmy like being Olsen. beaten by the red-headed stepchild <laughs> he is literally the red-headed freckled stepchild too <laughs> yeah that's not how it's supposed to go no it's it's pretty sad it's a sad day for superman so plus they're pals uh, well, supposedly, but you know, I, you know, the, that's the thing is he's been billed as Superman's pal and all that. But did you ever get the feeling in a lot of those old stories that Superman was kind of like, you know, almost fed up with Jimmy Olsen? Yeah. You know, he's always like every time Jimmy, you know, gets well, he's like a run, kid. He feels, <laughs> yeah, he feels like he's a kid that he's responsible for more maybe than like somebody he wants to go out and have a brew with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the thing. I can see Superman like. You know, bending over backwards to save Jimmy falling off a building, but I can't see Superman like hanging with Jimmy either. Right? You know, he's yeah, yeah. You you nailed it with that because yeah, he is. It's like he's, you know, it's just you can see Superman like rolling his eyes like oh, this fucking kid again. You know, yeah. but I can't like you said, I can't see him actually being. It's like your little. It's like it. your little brother. You know, you got you're responsible for him. You don't. He's gonna be hanging around, so you can't like reject him because he's your flesh and blood but jesus christ get off me kid <laughs> you know? dirty secrets of the silver age <laughs> that's what we should call this segment <laughs> so anyway this this issue again has the usual kind of features you know jimmy olsen lois lane crypto supergirl the whole nine yards um Again, I only read about half the features in this. I just can't get into the Jimmy and Lois stories. I, you know, I've tried, but it's just they're just not for me. I, that's I guess that just I don't know what aim, audience they were aiming at, but I'm just not that audience. I just can't get into those those stories. They always seem to be about the same type of things too. And, I think and, they're aimed at the sister, maybe you know. I don't know. It, like the the that way, like you know, your little sister could read your Superman comics and like, I like Lois Lane. Yeah, you would, you know, or whatever. Well, you know, the the funny thing is, is I I thought of that and I thought, well, maybe these were supposed to be like girl empowerment stories or something. You know, Lois was supposed to be, you know, the spunky, smart girl reporter, so you know she can go out there and she can 
you know, get the hard story and she can go up against the mobsters by herself. But you know what? Nine times out of ten, even though it's a Lois Lane story, Superman still saves her ass half the time by the end of the issue. So it's like, really? I mean, what did that do for her? It didn't really show her as tough as nails or able to handle things on her own. It showed her as, you know, she was still the girl that got in over her head and needed a man to save her. So I, you know, did it really accomplish anything as far as like, women's lib or anything i don't know i just wonder what the hell they were going for with those stories sometimes uh, they just i don't know they're they're supposed to be lois on her own yet they still come off feeling like just another superman story by the end of them so i don't know i don't i don't quite get it at least the jimmy ones a lot of times he does actually get into his own thing but he also gets out of it too you know he doesn't always have to push the button and, and call superman to come save him but it yeah, seems sometimes like sometimes he even kicks superman's ass <laughs> Obviously. What I wanted to before we get to Nightwing and Flamebird though, the one I gotta talk about. You know, I love I don't know why, but I love Silver Age Crypto the Superdog stories. I, I couldn't tell you why. But may, maybe this will give you an inclination of why. The crypto stories, you know, while they're incredibly simple, you know, some people would probably say incredibly lame, I think they have a certain charm to them. But this one here, this one is has a a, a, a sort disturbing... of zen zenness to him, maybe. No, 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 no. This one, no, <laughs> not not really. Just just kind of like a simple, you know, like 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 something like uh, like hot stuff or Richie Rich, you know, that those kind right, of things right. where they have a certain charm to them. But this one, this one's just downright disturbing, I think, on a lot of levels. All right, for one thing, on the very first page. It looks to me like super, like a, a crypto. I mean, crypto's thought bubble. Like he's actually, like the thought bubbles are received and understood by his girlfriend dog, and vice versa. Like, like they're actually communicating telepathically. All right, now you guys, you can call me prejudiced if you want to. I don't care, but I find the idea of telepathic dogs downright, you know, unsettling. I, I just—that's not a thought that I'm comfortable with. And what's worse is that you know, crypto nine times out of ten is the smartest character in in his own solo feature. I mean, you know, the humans included. Now I realize he's the hero of the story and all that, but he is a friggin' dog, you know. I mean, should he really be the smartest person around in these things? I know his breath smells like nuts. <laughs> I mean, he may be a, a an advanced dog from a race of advanced dogs on another planet, but in the end, my my money says he still sniffs asses. Okay? Yeah, yeah, he's still eating so. fucking Kryptonian. Dog chow, you know, Alpo. <laughs> All right, but you're going to love this. All right, the moment that takes the cake in this, the moment that makes this whole issue worth any price that you may get charged for it if you buy it, and I do recommend that you buy it just for this feature. All right, Crypto finally captures the bad guy at the end of it. You know, he does, he does the superhero thing, and he gets the guy. Turns him over to, okay, get this. He turns him over to the dog pound janitor, who's actually a private <laughs> detective. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure, this happens all the time. So Crypto turns over the bad guy to the detective. What does the detective do? He immediately recognizes the dog. I mean, you know, how many, how many dogs are there with, you know, a big red cape and they fly, right? So 
he recognizes crypto and he introduces himself. I say again, he introduces himself to a dog. You know, it's not just, hi, boy, who's a good super dog? No, no, no. This is a full-blown, hi, I'm Ed Lacey of the Continental Detective Agency. I've been tracking this creep down, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's literally, like, talking to the dog. I know, and Crypto should be just sitting there, like, chewing on his flank or something, just like, dog, 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 or scratching behind his ear or something. Well, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, if Crypto were anything like a real dog, then, you know, he should be hearing something akin to, like, blah, 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 Crypto, blah, 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 blah. You know, <laughs> should yep. be about, that should be about all he should comprehend. But, you know, in this one, you know, Crypto, you know, it's it's his story, so, you know, they, they want to, you know, portray him as the hero and all that. But he's, you know, he's pretty much consistently portrayed as, like, the smartest mammal in the story. So, you know, this thing with the guy actually holding a conversation, well, actually a one-way conversation, but, I mean, talking to him as if he were Superman instead of Super Dog, it's just really, it's weird, it's goofy, it's like, wow, really? You know, I mean, even for the Silver Age, it comes off as just, like, really goofy and bizarre, and anyway, Nightwing and Flamebird, um... This is the last one I'm going to do for right now. This uh, this issue's tale, this one's cool because this tells the secret origin of the new Nightwing and Flamebird team and how a lowly scientist and his pal became what is essentially the Batman and Robin of Kandor, the Bottle City. Um, I like this one. I thought it was a really good tale. And what was really cool is it has this like creepy, kooky scientist guy. And his plan is he wants to basically become the big wig of Kandor. He wants to take over and run shit his way. Well, his idea is, right, look, they live in the this bottled city. They're basically all at, like, microscopic size. So what this guy does is he teleports in one-celled organisms from outside the, bo uh, outside the bottle, which, you know, you bring in, like, a, like an amoeba into the bottled city. These things are freaking huge. You know, they're these huge nasty looking monsters that he's able to use some sort of mind whammy on and, and he gets him to like do his his evil bidding. So, you know, just imagine if you lived in a bottled city and you were at like microscopic size, just a you know, a regular full size common house fly landing on the outside of the bottle would probably scare the living shit right out of you. So now you've got these like amoeba things running around in the city tearing shit up. I just thought it was cool. I thought it was a lot of fun, you know, and it was basically, you know, these things are, are running rampant in the city. And I'm just this, getting the general idea that life sucks in general in the bottle city of Kandor. That's, yeah, that's kind of what I've always thought, you know. I mean, I've always, I mean, I can't really remember Kandor stories where, you know, it was just good times and everybody was having a blast. You know, it's like usually they were on the edge of, you know, some disaster or what. I mean, you got to think too that, you know, just, just simply, you know, Superman maybe setting the bottle a little too close to the edge of the table would like make the city a little nervous or whatever. So I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of the bottle city. I always thought it was a cool idea, but it was always kind of strange. The, the goofier stories that came out of the whole thing too, but you know, so there. You know, and again, you know, Superman's never around when people really actually need him in a lot of these stories. So, you know, the the city's being overrun by these amoebas and stuff, and this guy's tearing everything up. 
well, the, the scientist guy and his partner, somehow or other, they know who Nightwing and Flamebird were. You know, they knew that Nightwing and Flamebird were, were Superman and Jimmy Olsen. And when things get bad enough, they finally decide that, all right, the city needs Nightwing and Flamebird again. So they decide they're going to adopt the identities of Nightwing and Flamebird since I guess they just gave up hope that Superman gives a shit and you're going to come back and save their city. So they adopt you know, those identities. Somehow they knew about you know, the, the night cave and where you know, the costumes were stored and all this stuff. And they go and they adopt the identity. And then you know, from that moment on, they are the new, you know, the new heroes of the city. So you know, we get the whole recap of the origin of what, you know how these two guys can still be around, you know, when it's not Superman and Jimmy, and and I don't know, I I I do find a certain charm to it. I, you know, again, the stories are kind of simple and a little bit goofy, but as a kid, man, I love these guys because they were just basically they were the 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 Kryptonian version of Batman and Robin, but they were done in that. You know, in that style of like, uh, kind of like how '50s Batman and Robin were. You know, they tried to. You know, by the time of the '50s, you know, a lot of comics started to get really. You know, the superhero ones, because superheroes were kind of dying out. You know, post World War II, they started to get into a lot of science fictiony elements. You know, Batman and Robin were fighting aliens and all kinds of weird shit. You know, by the time of the '50s, these stories here, where you're basically taking the Batman and Robin formula but you're putting it into a futuristic you know candor might as well still be on krypton because it is still a, a city from you know another planet it's a city that was you know futuristic from this other planet that superman came from and everything so you're you're taking the batman and robin formula and transposing it on this very science fictiony you know super future realistic uh city and uh and it somehow it's really cool. I think it really works, and that that's what I enjoyed about it was you got a, a look inside, you know, Kandorian life, and you know the 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 future, you know, or I mean the uh, futuristic rather, you know, city. So it was kind of the same type of thing I think that a lot of kids got from say like Legion of Superheroes, you know, that that yeah. thing of the heroes at work in a. You know, in a in a more technological science fictiony city and all that, and I, I don't know. That's kind of what I took away from these. So I I got a kick out of them. I'm going to continue to uh, to look back on these and and read them, and uh, I'll, I'll bring more reviews along the line of uh, the other issues of uh, Superman Family that uh, covered Nightwing and Flamebird. All right. So anyway, we will be coming back to Nightwing and Flamebird in uh, Superman Family in our subsequent. Uh, comic monthly monday episodes i'll do uh, three more issues next time around next month at the same time and i really wanted to do these not only to you know to cover the material that you know people may not have read the original silver age you know pre-crisis incarnations of uh nightwing and flamebird and i wanted to touch on that but also i want to try to prove a little bit that uh you know, I took a lot of criticism, I feel, for my views on what's going on currently with the Jeff Johns stuff in the Superman titles. You know, the, the reintroduction of so many silver, silver Age elements into the current Superman. I just wanted people to, to realize I don't hate that stuff. You know, I grew up on that stuff and I, I have a fondness for it. I really love a lot of the elements. 
I just don't quite understand the logic behind reintroducing all that stuff into the 21st century incarnation of Superman. I, I think that that was going a nice direction the way it was, but it is nice to look back, you know, at the original source material. So I hope that, you know, it, it stands on its own, but I, I hope also that, you know, I, I can kind of vindicate myself and show that, look, I don't hate that stuff. So that's one of the reasons I'm covering it. So anyway, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back with Saga of the Swamp Thing number two. And there came a day, a day unlike any other, when Earth's mightiest heroes and heroines found themselves united against a common threat. On that day, the Avengers were born to fight the foes no single superhero could withstand. Through the years, their roster has prospered, changing many times, but their glory has never been denied. Heed the call then, for now, the Avengers Assemble! The Avengers Assemble podcast, available now at avengersassemblepodcast.libson.com. The Saga of the Swamp Thing. All right, we're back with uh, issue number two of Saga of the Swamp Thing. And uh, here to uh, sort of give a little summary of the plot, we'll have uh, Scott. It's all Scott all the time. It's like Scott Radio around here. (laughs) W-S-C-O-T-T. I like that idea. Okay. Saga of the Swamp Thing, number two. This one features a photo cover of, I think this guy's name, isn't it Dick Durak, who was the, I think who you're played right. Swamp Thing? I think that, I'm pretty sure that's what the actor's name is. Once again, I meant to look this up, but I am one lazy fuck after all, and I never did do it, but I'm pretty sure that's the guy's name. He is the guy that played Swamp Thing in the, uh, the Wes Craven film. So this is basically a photo cover from the film. Now, the film was out right at this same time, and I still think that that was a lot of the reason why Swamp Thing basically got approved to come back as you know a comic, because the movie was coming out, and they wanted that, that cross-promotion. It even says right at the top of the issue, now a major motion picture from Avco Embassy, which was the, the film company that, that put the movie out. And uh, eventually, Chris and I will both uh, re-watch the movie and, and we'll do some sort of thing, maybe a special or something, basically covering the movie. Because uh, I have fond memories of this movie as a kid, but it has been years since I've seen it. So I'm curious how it holds up. I'll tell you, know, you I'll tell you what. Some- Adrian Barbeau holds up. Let me tell you. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say for now. Oh, I know just what she holds up for you, too. Oh, yeah. They sort of float up. But that's, yeah. <laughs> well, this issue is written again by uh, Marty Pascal, who was the writer in the previous issue, with art in this one by Tom. Is it Yeats or Yates? I've I never been sure Yates. how to pronounce it. Is it Yates? Okay. And uh, Len Wein, who was uh, one of the co-creators of Swamp Things, serves as the editor for this issue. All right. This issue is titled, Something to Live For. And we pick up right where we left off in the first issue with Swamp Thing and Casey facing the pissed-off town folk of Limbo, North Carolina. Now, they're, uh, you know, all Frank... Huh? Yeah! <laughs> Limbo, North Carolina. That was pretty good. Thank you. 
you know, Frankenstein style, these guys, you know, these townsfolk are all armed with, you know, torches and pitch, pitchforks, the whole nine yards. The uh, redneck populace here is determined to put an end to what they perceive as a, the little, you know, little mute witch girl and her demon. So Swamp Thing sees that the kid that almost ran them down the last issue, you know, he's going to be all right. He, uh, when Swamp Thing slammed the car to a halt, you know, the kid went flying through the windshield and, and landed near this monument, and it looked like he broke his neck or, or something, but. Uh, you know, he's going to be all right, and Swamp Thing lapses into sort of a, a short little recap of the prior events. This is back when comics actually used to do this, give you a little recap of what the hell is going on in case you missed, you know, prior issues. Anyway, one of the locals uh, attempts to set fire to Swamp Thing, and uh, uh, he fights back and sends the crowd scattering. Meanwhile, um, inside, a, it's like a... I think it's like a local supply store or something like that. The the character Dr. K, he's on the horn with Mr. G. And they basically concoct a plan where uh, K is going to capture Swamp Thing and deliver him to Mr. G within 14 hours. And he goes outside and Dr. K uses the, the pandemonium that uh, is caused by a fire accidentally being started you know, in the ruckus. He uses it as a distraction to kidnap the little girl, Casey. Swamp Thing um, tracks her down, and he's you know he finds the car that Kay used to abduct her and everything, and it's by this uh, it's like a cornfield or something. And he goes into the the field looking for Casey, and he's gassed by a crop dusting plane. He awakens six hours later. And he's now a captive of Mr. G. You know, he's he's strapped to this big, uh, you know, it's almost like a crucifix type of thing. You know, he's got him captured and he's all chained up to it. And Mr. G uh, talks to him. He reveals that the G stands for grasp, which, you know, he considers an ironic name, you know, that he's adopted since he lost both of his hands and he had them replaced with mechanical ones. So now he goes by Mr. Grasp. Grasp um, has captured Swamp Thing and Casey because he wants to use the little girl as leverage against Swamp Thing to get him to reveal the secrets of the bio-restorative formula that he created while he was Alec Holland. Um, Grasp knows that Swamp Thing was uh, Alec Holland. Uh, when Swamp Thing insists that he can't recall the formula, Grasp um, kind of reluctantly orders Mr. K to kill the little girl via radio. K and uh, the little girl are in, a, in another location away from where Swamp Thing is being held by grasp. Um, K then, you know, he goes ahead. He's going to kill the little girl. He attempts to kill her. However, when he's doing this, you know, it, it looks like she uses some kind of, like, Jedi mind trick and she causes something to happen, and, and Kay is knocked out. And Grasp, you know, by this point, he's kind of exas exasperated with Swamp Thing. He decides he can just as easily get the formula by doing, you know, basically a, a, an analysis of Swamp Thing's corpse. So he attempts to saw Swamp Thing in half by strapping him to a log, you know, on an automated one of those log sawing machines, you know, some, kind of like an old... Uh, you know, Snidely Whiplash, Dudley Do-Right scenario or something. And, uh, you know, there's a brief one-page interlude 
right in the midst of all this drama where we see this young teenage girl, she gets this late night visitor. It looks like, you know, it's supposed to be her boyfriend or something like that. And, uh, when her mother comes to check up on her later, she finds the girl lying on the floor and then the mother is attacked. And we cut back to the main story and Swamp Thing, you know, believing that Casey is dead by this point, you know, he resigns himself to his fate, you know, that he's just going to let the, the basically the thing kill him, and all of a sudden his bonds, you know, these these like cable things that are holding him to the log, they mysteriously slacken and fall away. He uh, somehow intuits that Casey is behind this, that you know it must be her doing, and you know now he's free and he decides, you know, because the girl's alive, it suddenly renews, you know, his, his desire to live and and to protect her. So he gets into a fight with Grasp, and in the course of that fight, Grasp is knocked unconscious, and a fire is started. A lot of fire starting in this issue. Swamp Thing rescues Casey, and they hightail it out of uh, the the place where they've been held all this time, which is the uh, Sunderland Corporation. It's a it's a facility run by them, and uh, Grasp pursues them. And he eventually corners them in a cave, and he's got this, like, laser rifle thing. And he attempts to shoot Swamp Thing and Casey, and Swamp Thing uh, realizes that he's cornered, and rather than just stay and be shot where he is, he jumps down from where he's perched at, down to the ledge that Grasp is standing on. And when he does this, his weight, you know, combined with the girl being on his back and everything, causes the ledge to break away. Swamp Thing... You know, carrying Casey on his back, he jumps to safety, but Grasp falls, you know, to his presumable doom. Um, Swamp Thing and Casey then get aboard a freight train, and Swamp Thing notices that his hand has finally started to grow back. And, you know, he speculates that maybe, you know, something that uh, was done to him while he was being held captive has basically kick-started the uh, bio-restorative formula, and that's, you know, giving him back his healing ability. Back at the uh, Sunderland Corp, we see this like horribly burned figure rise from the ashes and rise from the destruction. He swears vengeance. Um, and then Casey, you know, in the last uh, shot we see of them is they ride on into the night on their train. And they're bound for the, the town of Rosewood, which is where the mysterious interlude with the attacked girl and, and her mother took place earlier in the issue. And that's pretty much the Swamp Thing portion of this issue. What'd you think of this one, Chris? I liked it. Um, <clears throat> um, not one of my favorite. The, these early Swamp Things are a little hit and miss. Now, what I did, did, did really like about this, as always, is the art. I think in this whole run, the art is pretty consistently good. And I really, I, I just love it. It's In this one, it's classic old horror movie art and a lot of the stuff in the story plays with those old horror movie conventions like the the mad villagers with their with their torches and pitchforks and the evil villain and um especially strapping swamp thing to a to a a, a log in a sawmill to saw him in half you know i love that you know you'd think they'd have him on an autopsy table well, that comes later in alan moore days but you know um, and there's even sort of maybe a nod to North by Northwest by he gets, you know, gets taken out in a cornfield oh, by right. a dive bombing plane, you know. So it's got right. – and there's 
and coming up in here, there's a lot. This this early run before Alan Moore got his hands on it, really liked to uh, pay a lot of homages to old movies and old Hollywood. So a lot of that comes in here. But uh, I mean, this uh, at this point, it's I think this is a good book, but it's kind of a kiddie horror book, you know. It's 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 plain very simple with the with the idea. It's it's good. I like how they're 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 starting up the you know whatever's coming next by having that like the the little interlude with the girl meeting her boyfriend and something's wrong with her boyfriend and the mother finding the girl and then she's getting getting grabbed, you know. So that's that's setting up something to come come up with in the future. But um yeah, a lot of it's kind of there's I I feel like in this these early ones there's a little too much exposition. There's a little too much like explaining what's going on and characters going, "Aha, and now I must run out of the, you know, explaining what they're doing as they're doing it in word balloons." I think that was just comics of that era, right. though, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. And I think this this that's the that's the thing about this is is when these were first coming out, I was eating this up. But I had no idea. Now I know what Swamp Thing is to become, and the the layers of complexity that are gonna, you know, that are going to be laid upon it in this run, and even See, laid on top of this framework that's being started by these other writers. You know, Alan Moore's gonna work off this very effectively, but it's a little more. It's a little more naive and simple, and just sort of. Um, you know, a, a simple adventure monster story, you know? That was one of the things I, I, I was kind of curious how how it was going to go over, both with you and I rereading this after so many years, but also I, I'm very curious what the listening audience is going to feel about this because, you know, I, I feel in a certain aspect it's it's almost unfair to compare this to the later stuff with, with Alan Moore oh, yeah. and all that. Because, you know, that is such a, a completely leap. different... Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's a completely different animal, too, because I think part of the... And I, I, ha I hesitate to use the word problem, but for lack of a better word, I'll say problem. I think part of the problem with this is it's still very slavish to the Swamp Thing formula established in the original series, yes. especially in the first ten issues. This very much feels to me, this, this two-part... This two-part introduction, issues one and two of Saga, feel very, very, very similar to the formula of the original ten, you know, first ten issues of the first series, where it was basically Swamp Thing would, you know, it was like the formula of the old Hulk TV show. You know, he would wander into a town or a village or some hamlet somewhere, and he would solve a supernatural problem. Exactly. Basically. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened here. You know, he wandered in, he found the little girl, you know, some plot comes up and it's all neatly resolved by the second issue, you know. And right. that's kind of what would happen you know in that original series, but those were all done in ones. You know, he he'd wander in and find problem X, get involved and by the end of it, you know, the bad guy would fall to his death or, you know, something would happen and right. it was all neatly wrapped up. So it became almost like a, almost the monster of the week type of thing. But nine times out of ten, he was the monster. Right. But you know, it, it well, I mean, uh, Marvel's Frankenstein book 
followed very much that same. You know, there were there were a number yeah. of of series of this this type of thing that that basically followed that same formula, where you know some misshapen monstrosity would wander into you know some situation and misunderstood I mean, misshapen monstrosity. Yeah, I mean. Uh, the Hulk, yeah, to a certain degree, had that same formula for decades. You know, yeah. before you know, guys like Byrne and and Peter David came along and said, "Okay, you know, it's time to to shake this formula up a little bit." So I don't think it's bad. I mean, I don't think it's no, I don't either. badly written or anything like that. But it, it does kind of suffer from by this point. You know, it, it it wasn't exactly unique. You know, it wasn't setting the world on fire because it wasn't anything that you couldn't get from any issue of the Hulk or no. You know, but you a know, a whole bunch of other imitators. What what pulls what 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 makes it all really work for me is the art. I just love the art. The oh yeah. And I and you know, it's very moody. It's got that whole horror movie. It's got. He's got that Bernie Wrightson feel without, you know, copying Bernie Wrightson while still using his own style. But it's still, it's got that, Bernie Wrightson had this sort of, fi- he could make things have this sort of fibrous look to him, you know. And, mm-hmm. uh, and which was, is very good for the Swamp Thing, he, since he's a pretty fibrous being. So, so and that's, and that's continued on in here. It looks like, he looks like a sort of misshapen person with veins with this fibrous leafy, you know, he does like some sort of plant like covering over it, you know, it's very, right. very well portrayed by the, and I've seen other people who've tried to draw him or other portrayals of, of him that make him just look like some cartoon plant man, you know, whereas this really, um, Yates really gives the, you know, the, the, the Bernie Wrights an original feel of, of the swamp thing. I, I really like it. What's funny is, you know, I look back at this look of Swamp Thing now, and it looks a little odd to me. But I remember, like, when Moore's, in Moore's run, when he first started to become more of a literal plant, you know, and he started to grow, you know, leaves and weird things out of him and all the tubers and everything else. Yeah. You know, I, I had a lot of resistance to that, but now I look at that, and that's more my idea of Swamp Thing. I look back at this, and it and it's I don't know, it's uh, it I don't have the same nostalgic feeling that I used to. But I used to like when he looked like this because you know, to me, he never so much looked like a plant to me as he looked like a horrible burn victim covered with moss. Yes. Yes. And that's kind of what I always thought he should be anyway. You know, here was a guy who had been blown up, set on fire, ran into a swamp screaming because he was on fire, and emerges as basically a living plant man. So I always really thought that this art nailed that idea of a of a burn victim, you know, covered with plant material better than anything you know even yeah. the, even some issues the original run i never i didn't quite get that you know man converted to plant feel like i did right here i mean he really does he looks slimy yeah you know like if you touched him it would be like touching like a, a you know a you ever wet, you ever pull like, pull like, like a, a rock wet that's been yeah in, in covered with yeah slimy moss on it yeah yeah exactly yeah that's exactly what i felt like he would he would feel like to the touch unlike so. the cover where it looks like he would feel like a rubber wetsuit 
<laughs> Latex. Yep. yep. Exactly. Exactly. I'm really anxious to watch that movie again. I started watching it the other day, and then I, I couldn't finish it. You'll I be only surprised got just how long. Clip, I, I like the little black kid in it. He was a great. I wish. Oh yeah. I don't. I don't remember ever seeing him in a movie afterwards. But I really liked him. He had. He was. He reminded me of. Um, not physically, but um, oh, what was the name of the kid in Terminator Two that they just sort of discovered off the street? What was his name again? That actor. Who played John oh. Connor? Oh God! In Terminator Two. You know who I mean, though. He was just—he was just a kid that James Cameron yeah. saw and said, "Wow, this kid's perfect." And that's what this kid reminded me of. He reminded me of a real little kid that somebody like threw a dirty T-shirt on. You know, he reminded me of one of the little rascals. You know, he—he he reminded me of a real gritty little scurfy little kid running around in the Louisiana Bayou. And he was kind of wimpy still, though. He was like one of the wimpier kids. So, you know, of course he's got Swamp Thing to to be his pal. So, yeah, I, I that's that was one of the elements that I really liked about that. that what was movie. his name? It was I can't Jude remember. or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was. I have to I have to watch. I wish I still had the comic book of it. Maybe I still do. I have to I'll have to look. But I um Oh, that's right. Yeah, cuz the first annual adapted a, the movie, didn't it? I forgot about adaption, that. And it was really good. It was it was another and it was I can't remember who illustrated it, but somebody different illustrated it, and it was really nicely done. Yeah, I had forgotten about that. Uh, you'll, you'll, when you see the movie again, you'll be amazed at how much rated PG boobage there is in that one Adrian <laughs> Barbo scene. And, and you can be proud that a Carthage boy ended up marrying her. You, you'll feel the pride, and you'll feel the hometown pride in that in that movie i'll tell you right now it's probably worth mentioning as well that the the uh following the dc tradition of the time that there is a uh a backup feature in this book it's a swamp thing or excuse me a uh, phantom stranger story by uh mike w Barr and dan spiegel but it was not anything to write home about so yeah. i wasn't going to go over i just thought it was worth mentioning that you know oh. there is that so-called bonus material in uh, there it just wasn't very good it's 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 borderline it's actually a little borderline or racist because it's like it's like irish he's he's very portrayed as he's even you know everybody everybody who's in here there's a irish family they're all redheads and you know they almost but basically you know they don't but they might as well be just saying gosh and begora you know but um basically the the story is i'll see how how quickly i can sum it up is firefighter dies in fire and uh his friend feels responsible and he's haunted whenever there's flame his old partner comes out in the flame and and tries to exact revenge for him you know failing him and then the phantom stranger reveals that the guy who actually died was drunk when he died and he's being a basically says you're being a dick you're haunting your family and your friend and blaming them for you being drunk you drunk now go to hell like you're supposed to and then the flame goes you're right i'm a dick and then he disappears in front of the whole family spelling out forgive me on the floor in in flame in you know charred floor well whatever what a happy family yeah. story what a great piece of filler <laughs> basically not even a great the and the art is the art is okay, you know, it's not bad, but whatever. Not the best not the best um, uh, I, Phantom Stranger I, story. I, 
Yeah, I'm I'm trying to be nicer about you know <laughs> bad mouthing artists, but it's just yeah, it's it's that style I never yeah. cared for. It's it's basically the Alex Toth style, and yeah. I just never I never cared for that style. I, it, I'm not saying it was bad. I, I just kind of associated with Classics Illustrated in some ways. Yeah, I can but, see that. Yeah. Well, that's all I got for this one. Yeah, that's all I got for. I think I'm I'm ready to move into uh into Zombie Land. What do you say? Cool. All right, we'll take a trip into the gut-munching near future with uh Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead coming right up. The Walking Dead. Okay, so uh, this is the final part of the episode. This is going to cover The Walking Dead, number six. And I'm going to hand it off to Chris for our recap of this issue. All right. Now, this one starts out... This one has a beautiful cover of, uh, of a funeral of basically the whole, the whole group of people in silhouette, you know, with, uh, with a red sunset and... Uh, and a cross, you know, from their freshly buried friend. And that's how this uh, issue starts. As the story starts with the funeral of Andrea's sister, Amy, who'd been killed in the last issue in a midnight zombie attack. And uh, also on that night, Jim, uh, a mechanic, who uh, his whole family had been killed before he met up with the with the group, uh, he received a bite in the fight that with the zombies that night. And is uh, now he's lying in a tent, basically dying. You know, it's. I'm assuming this is probably the day after. They probably buried her the day after, and uh, um, you know, the 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 zombie fever or whatever it is, the disease seems to happen really quickly. I think somebody even mentions, you know, it's never. You know, some people have made it a couple days, but for the most part, you know, they go really quickly. He's he's in the tent and he asked to be left to die on the outskirts of Atlanta. So uh, when he comes back to life as a zombie, you know maybe he'll hook up with his family. He'll meet up with his family, and uh, the group of survivors actually honor him with that request and take him and sit him down by a tree and and leave him to die. And uh, and that's. Uh, and you know this episode's where we're first dealing with the really the hard aftermath of people people uh dying you know and the reality of the situation so uh meanwhile uh Rick and uh his best friend and fellow cop Shane have been arguing <coughs> as of the last issue and in this issue about whether you know they should stay here and move on and Rick really thinks they should get out of there and thinks the attack the night before by the zombies is just more proof that you know it's time it's time to get out of here cuz they're not really in a good place to de- defend themselves and Shane wants to stay because he thinks the the government the army uh, the cavalry is going to come over the the uh, horizon at any any time and they should be in a an obvious place to be found but uh Rick's starting to think that maybe this might be a long-term event so he's he's you know he and Shayna get in a heated argument when they're out hunting about this and uh Rick's son is Carl has come along on the hunting trip and he ends up getting so upset by his dad and Shane fighting that he runs back to camp and um um so Shane and Rick get up uh 
one morning and um, get, basically get in a fist fight <coughs> over this whole thing. Rick, you know, Rick is like, Shane, I want to go out in the woods and talk to you. And it, and it turns into a fist fight about whether they should leave or not. And Shane goes running into the woods. Um, now, you know, the last few issues, you know, we found out Rick doesn't know this, but Shane and, and Rick's wife had uh, had sex when um, when they thought Rick was probably not coming back. And um, it seems that Shane maybe have ha has had feelings for Rick's wife for a long time that he's kept buried or whatever. Now he's starting to crack up a little bit. Now he's starting to show signs of losing touch with reality. So uh, Rick, after the fight, chases him down in the woods and um, confronts him. And Shane pulls a gun on him and starts basically babbling and and you know freaking out and saying you know you've you've taken my heart you've ruined my life I have nothing and and Rick is trying to figure out you know what's going on what is you know what are you talking about and um, it becomes becomes very apparent that that maybe Rick doesn't know it but Shane's planning on shooting Rick so that you know he can have Rick's wife and things can be the way they were before Rick showed up and sort of took over the the A position. So, uh, you know, Rick is, Rick is just about to get shot when all of a sudden uh, a gunshot comes from behind shooting Shane in the neck, and it's Carl, Rick's son, who had followed them into the woods and, uh, and uh, shot Shane when uh, he realized he was going to kill his dad. And uh, the last panel is... You know, Carl telling his dad, you know, it's it feels different when you shoot somebody who's not a zombie, and uh, and Rick telling him, yeah, well, basically that's that's the way it should be. So, uh, phew, that's quite an episode <laughs> issue, <laughs> episode issue. Yeah, this uh, this is a super powerful issue, and uh, and one of my favorites, you know, so far up to this point. I mean, there's just. You know, there, there's not action per se because, you know, there's no zombie attacks. There's no, you know, other than, than Rick being threatened at gunpoint, there's no, uh, there's no threat, you know. But it's just a lot of uh, character moments, a lot of drama, and you really start to get into the know. characters. What's that? I don't know if you even see a single zombie in this episode I don't, or in this issue. I don't think there's a single zombie there isn't there isn't a single zombie in this in this whole issue I think maybe my I think my personal favorite moment though is uh, when they're all gathered around for uh, the girl's uh, funeral um, what was her name Amy Amy and everybody's basically trying to say something nice, you know, have a little something to say. And Jim, of all people, who we've heard say, what, maybe a dozen words total. Right, he's probably point. one of the tersest people you'll ever meet, you know, mm -hmm. it seems like. And his his dialogue just seems so realistic to me, you know, he's just, you know, he's sad and, you know, he just says, you know, she was a pretty girl and she was smart. You know, she didn't deserve this. And, you know, it just... He he keeps coming across as such a totally realistic character. I mean, uh, this guy yeah. is so much like people I've actually known, 
and uh, and I really liked that moment. You know, and everybody at that moment turns. You know, except for the the grieving sister. You know, everybody else turns as if they just can't believe Jim actually said something. You know, but he also said something that was so profound. You know, you could tell it was really from his heart that he's sad that this you know this pretty young girl is is dead, and there was really no good reason that it happened. And, and well, uh, and, and I really like that moment. Well, at, at the same time, he's also a dead man, and he and everybody and he and everybody knows it, you know. And when right. he said she didn't deserve this, the next thing he says very quietly is nobody deserves this. So I think a lot of the reason they might have been looking at him is they're also looking at him, going, "You're right, and you don't deserve it either," you know. And right. And when he was saying that, he was talking about himself too, a bit, uh, you know, a bit. Yeah, and he, he and he does. He looks genuine, genuinely sad. You know, he's he's probably you know your your closest approximation to Joe Sixpack. You know, he's just right. He's Joe Sixpack. He's Joe Mechanic, and you know, a, a, a nice you know probably not uh you know probably a nice just sort of quiet guy, works with his hands, keeps to himself, and is just completely lost in, in this world and has lost his entire family. This whole this whole episode's sad, you know, everybody's, you know, just uh and you know Aunt, um Andrea's lost her sister her twin sister, you know, and it's just it's just where the it, this is this is where grim reality is starting to set in. The snow's starting to fall, so it's starting to get cold and people are starting to die you know there's a fire starting to get lit under everybody's ass and something's gonna have to get done you know or they're gonna they can't sit in a field all winter waiting to die that's one of those things that you know it it could conceivably be a nitpick and I'll just I'll just throw it out there. I'm I'm not okay. going to nitpick on it too much because about the time I was rereading this issue um, a while back, you know, in preparation for this episode, we ended up having, you know, a, a decent cold snap and a little bit of a, a snow flurry here. But there does seem to be an awful lot of snow for this is supposed to be right outside of Atlanta, and we just don't get that much snow here. But then again, you know, we haven't yet gotten, you know, legions of Walking Dead either. So, right. you know, I have to forgive that. I mean, maybe there's actually something wrong with the Earth. I mean, we, we don't, thankfully, have never gotten, you know, an explanation for what the hell's going on and why dead people are suddenly walking around, you know, trying to eat the living. So maybe it's, you know, something... You know, there's more than just right. that going on. Maybe there's something ecological going on too. But I just thought it was worth mentioning that you know, Georgia does not get at least you know right outside of Atlanta like they're supposed to be. I mean, I live yeah. right outside of Atlanta, so I can tell you we don't get snow like this. You know, not not in any great accumulation, but we do get. You know, we still get bitter cold. So you know, even if they weren't dealing with snow they would still you know for this time of year they would still be you know fighting the bitter cold and all that right right um yeah you know and another another thing i've been thinking of a lot about this week with um as i just gotten you know the more recent issue of the walking dead up in the in the late 50s um but um 
just reading the letters in it, the, there's always a constant uh, theme in the letters of The Walking Dead. Of um, I don't know if somebody mentioned it early on and everybody else just sort of grabbed onto it and are running with it, but uh, there's always this theme of this should be a, a series on HBO, which mm-hmm. makes perfect sense because you would have the freedom to be as graphic and, you know, to be as realistic and blunt as the comic books, and you it could be ongoing. So HBO or Showtime or, or Cinemax or something like that, something that would run an uncut, you know, show with a good budget um, is, an, is, is a sort of natural bet. And I was thinking, and I've always thought about, you know, it would be so great because I love good zombie movies, and there's so few good zombie movies. But when they come along, I love them so much. I, they're, they're just one of my favorite genres or subgenres or however you want to um, categorize it. And I was thinking, how great would it be to have this as a TV show? But you know, I think The Walking Dead is just perfect as a comic book. It maybe should it should be left as a comic book. It's sort of the the comic gives us the perfect um, springboard to do whatever Kirkman wants. You know, you don't need a huge budget. You don't have to spend four hours on every zombie that you're going to portray in makeup. You know, you can you can have a whole you know herd of zombies you know coming pouring out of a city. Because all you have to do is draw it, you know, and it, it is more work for for the artist to draw something like that. But it doesn't, you know, quadruple your or you know your budget or exponentially raise your budget. Pardon me. I would I would just be afraid that it would, you know, that it would get away from what makes it great as a comic book great i mean it is essentially one man's vision you know it's it's one man you know giving us this story granted there's an artist involved in all that and i'm not trying to slight you know either tony moore or charlie adler but i mean them aside as the artist it is still robert kirkman's vision you know this is you know his tale and and coming spinning out of him and unless the show did, you know, strict interpretations of the, you know, the issues, which I just don't see, you know, Hollywood just doesn't do that. I mean, save for something like The Watchmen, which still had liberties taken with it, you know, Hollywood just doesn't do comic book adaptions. It takes comic book premises and throws the comics out the window and does whatever the hell it wants to. And, you know, if you if you take well, The Walking Dead and you try to turn it into a Hollywood property, be it an HBO thing or a motion picture or whatever, you're suddenly going to be dealing with the HBO executives. You're going to be dealing right. with whatever stars they get Five in there writers. and their egos. You're going to be dealing with writers and directors. You're going to be dealing with, you know... Whoever the powers at large are going to be looking at it and going, well, you know, we need more gore to appeal to the zombie horror well, people. We need more this and that to appeal would, to these. People. I would, I would see, I would see it as more of a risk of it getting toned down because there's some stuff that happened in this. It happens in this comic series that's just so you know, it's intense. It's it's to the level of like 
you know, when you're downloading, if you download like a video uh, or you accidentally see it, see a video on on the internet that you can't unsee. If you know what I'm talking about, like I know exactly what you mean. Um, it, there's there's some parts in here that are like that, or with the intensity of you know, just horrible. Horrifying, horrible, the worst imaginable things that can happen to human beings happen to human beings in this comic book. So they might have to tone it down a little bit for... But I would see, <clears throat> if I was producing this, or if I was the executive in charge of HBO, the thing about this is, this comic, comic, this comic is pretty cinematic. You know, it's not very um, experimental with the... With the um, you know, the page layout or anything. There's, you know, there's some neat layouts, but for the most part, it's sort of like, you know, cinema-sized screens of, with, you know, sort of storyboard, sort of... It would just be so much easier to just go through, and the way it's written and the way it's done is very cinematic. You could go through and do these comics shot for shot, and it would make life a lot easier on you, you know? But then again, that would make it less appealing to me because what would be the point, you know, of, of watching the uh, just an exact transcription of the comics? I'd rather read the comics and use some of my imagination to bring it to life. Would always is always going to work out better. But right. um, yeah, and I was just, but I I used to be like, oh, I'd love to see a movie of this. I'd love to see, but now I'm thinking, you know, I think this is just the the me, the medium of comic books is perfect to convey this story. And uh, I'm not not that I'd be resistant to a movie, but I'm not really like thinking about it like something that I really would want to see anymore. I'm just sort of happy. I'll be happy if the comics keep coming out and maintaining the quality that they are, you know. Instead of wishing, wishing. I mean, it would be. It would probably be nice. It would probably be nice for Kirkman. It would probably be some more money for him, and maybe even some more mainstream acknowledgement of his skills as a writer, you know? I mean... So, I mean, sometime soon, he's probably going to get some write-up in, you know, some little short little blurb in People Magazine or Time Magazine where they're like, you know, here's a comic book that's doing really well and, you know, blah, 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 the gritty, blah, 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 Walking Dead, and he'll get a little blurb and get a little publicity for it but probably but it'll be that sort of condescending you know hey look <laughs> a comic book that's really good that's actually holy good. zombies batman yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. one of those fucking condescending articles that we always seem to get in the mainstream yeah and and uh or or something that that complements this at the expense of you know saying well, The Walking Dead, unlike you know your kitty fodder and men in underwear stories, is a, a gritty, realistic story of blah blah blah. You know that story's been written a thousand times too. Right. But he'll you know he'll eventually get a little press like that. But if it was made into an HBO series, you know then you would get then I would be like you know go you would go to <clears throat> your work where normal people work and have them go, did you see The Walking Dead last night? Oh my god, I can't believe so-and-so died, you know? And that would be really cool. <laughs> that would be really funny to to uh, to see. It would be... Well, you know, I would, I would not be opposed to it if it was done after the comic wraps, you know? Once Kirkman gets this all out of his system in the book... 
is over, which, you know, God forbid. I mean, <laughs> yeah, hopefully never. But, I mean, one day, you know, it's going to have to happen. You know, then I wouldn't mind it. But a- as it's coming out, I'd just be afraid that somehow something would happen that would, that would you know, adversely affect the book itself. But I mean, maybe not. I mean, you know, it it it, it could it could survive if you know it had a, a bad adaptation to, you know, uh, film or whatever. I mean, because sure. you know there there have been plenty of them. You know that, you know where there was a good series that you know got a shit you know interpretation. Oh, I, don't, I don't think it would lose any of the comic survive. readers. I don't think any of the comic readers would lose it. They would just go, oh, what a crappy TV adaptation and. Yeah. And forget it ever existed, you know, and keep I mean, the image, comics. You know, Image has had that happen to them already. The, I mean, the, the example that, as I was saying that, the example that actually popped in my head was, uh, you know, one of my favorite Image books. One of the few other Image books I've ever read with any regularity was uh, Savage Dragon. And, you know, fairly early into its uh, popularity... There was a uh, an animated series that came out of it that everybody was psyched for. I couldn't even make it through the first episode. It sucked it was that bad. so. Oh, it was fucking horrible. I mean, nothing at all resembling the things that made the series what it uh-huh. was. I mean, they had to tone it down so bad for the kiddies that I mean, it was basically the difference between the original Eastman and Laird early issues of the turtles you know with the blood and the violence and everything and what they got with the cartoons it was the same type of thing you know savage dragon is a very violent bloody you know language filled book you know with edge to it and some bite to it and they they took you know they just pulled its teeth out you know and, and it became another insipid cartoon and it wasn't i mean the turtles cartoon at least it wasn't totally retarded. You know, you could still enjoy parts of it, even though it was really toned down. The the Savage Dragon cartoon didn't even get that. You know, I mean, it basically, it became like Savage Dragon super stories. You know, it, it was like just retarded. I mean, it, it, they dumbed it down so bad that it lost everything that made it great. And, you know, granted, we're not talking about making The Walking Dead into a cartoon, but at the same rate, I would just be afraid that, you know, it just wouldn't be the comic on screen and that that would cheapen it somehow. The Walking Dead could be great if it was animated. It could be a great animated series, too, if it was If you're talking like Spawn type of thing, yeah. Right, if it was done... you know, with beautiful, moody animation and kept the realistic tone, I think it could be, and it would, it would actually, it could, you could probably get, it would, you could probably get away with more of the horrifying things that happened to have it animated than if you had it in real life, you know. Because if you think of some of the things that happened to some of the characters in the future of this comic, and if you think and you picture them doing a version of it on TV, that would be some pretty... The comics... The comics really... These comics have pushed me to the level, to the edge. And, and you know me. I'm, I am have a, I have a strong stomach. I'm thick-skinned. You know, I can, t- I can take 
the the strong hard meat and the brutal things happening there have been things in this comic that have literally made me put down the comic and just go whoa woof I read that in a bathroom stall recently that you could take the long hard meat but that's (laughs) That's a different story altogether but we're talking about the long hard track meets because I was a track star in high school yeah but uh okay but there, yeah, but there have been episodes, episodes, issues of this comic, and and things that have happened in this that have literally, just you know, really punch you in the gut. You know, I think you've actually described a couple punches in the gut. You know, in the yeah, in the without getting into it, emails. Yeah, the next to most recent issue was a total just. Oh man! And yeah, about three it, issues before that, there was another ender that was just completely, uh, also emotionally horrifying, and uh, and uh, you know, so, spoiler alert: lots of people die horribly <laughs> in this world, <laughs> and that's all I'll say. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm just thinking, you know, this. I think he's found this this perfect sort of little niche in this little perfect universe, and uh, it's one of those miraculous things that um, I'm just gonna you know handle sort of with kid gloves in the hopes that it's never gonna go away. You know, cross my fingers that it's not gonna jump the shark. And uh, so far, it's going really good. You know. And every, yeah, every once in a while, there's a little run like that. Like, I remember when Pee-wee's Playhouse used to come out, I'd get up on Saturday mornings and I'd watch Pee-wee's Playhouse and think, man, life is good. <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm watching this. I can't believe that, you know, this is something that's being made, you know, for kids to watch. And this is, you know, something so... I can't believe something so good is being made and that I'm allowed to see it. And that's what so you're was. walking away from The Walking Dead and going, life is good? Oh, yeah. There's something wrong with you. Life is good, at least to the point of where, you know, I, you know, I just really am happy. You know, it's the same feeling I get when I go to a movie that's just out of control good that I never really expected. It, was, it reminded me when I was in high school and I talked someone into going to see the movie Brazil. And neither of us knew anything about it. All I knew is it was one of the Monty Python guys directed it. And there was like a controversy over the final cut of it. And he finally got his final cut. But the the movie had been like held out for like two years because there had been a legal battle over the final cut. That's all I knew about it. And and, uh, the friend who I was going with the movies with was not into going to see a movie untested, you know, and just on the on and uh started watching the movie and about five minutes into it you realize this is going to be like one of the best movies you've ever seen and and that's what the walking dead is like for me every every issue i'm amazed at how good it is and how you know i hate i i hate doing this this is like gonna be such a every month i'm just gonna like crawl in here and start kissing robert kirkman's ass but really, I don't have many big complaints on this comic. It's almost like this is the monthly celebration of The Walking Dead for me. <clears throat> because, and I just, I truly appreciate it as one of those great things. A few years ago when um, John Kay, the guy who did uh, Ren and Stimpy, 
had a, a TV show on Saturday mornings called The Ripping Friends that was so out of this world sketchy and wrong for kids in so many levels and so many ways and all the right ways. It was just awesome. The most hideously rude animation and you know for about oh, I think it was probably about a 12-15 week run you know where every mo every Saturday I could get up and watch a new half hour Ripping Friends show and, and, and sit there and marvel at the at the quality and the subversiveness of it like when Ren and Stimpy came out sheer, sheer happiness and it doesn't happen it doesn't happen very often you know I mean if we were lucky it, it would have happened with I was sort of hoping it was going to happen with those uh, new Star Wars movies but only in parts of them there were parts of the new Star Wars movies where I sat in the movie theater going ah it's good to be a Star Wars fan but not just consistently all the way through them. I'm trying to think of anything else right now that I'm getting that's pure chocolatey good goodness like that. And I guess the Army at Love is like that. Almost anything new and continuing by Rick Veitch is like that for me. You know, just something I eagerly anticipate. The Terminator, the new Terminator TV show. Yeah. I, I gobble that up like crack. I've got a... Um, <laughs> Somebody put a... <laughs> not that I gobble up crack, just once. Uh, Everybody knows about that from our show, so whatever. I don't want to start spreading rumors about myself. But, uh, yeah. Since when? <laughs> Shh, I just don't want them to think I don't want to spread rumors about myself. But, yeah. Oh, and we were talking earlier about somebody had a spoiler on somebody dying in the Terminator show... And I thought I knew who it was, but I think I don't because there's a new episode out, so it's probably in that one. So I'll, yeah. our conversation, just ignore it. I was talking out my butt. Okay. Well, I, I I hope it hasn't been ruined for me. But people, when you when you post to forums, keep in mind that a lot of times the first post that creates a new thread, when when people that subscribe to a forum get that in the form of an email... It doesn't just give like the name of the thread. It also gives the content of the first post. And so I'm going through my email today, and there was somebody had posted something about the Terminator TV show. And right in like the first couple of lines, it said, "Oh my God, can you believe so and so died?" And I'm like, "God damn it!" You know, they didn't even bother to put spoiler alert in like the the title of the thing or anything or so that just black block over it that black yeah. spoiler block that's even better you know so you know just perusing my email innocently you know keeping up on you know what's going on now the show that i've religiously follow and enjoy you know yeah. th this episode is going to be totally ruined for me because now i know who bites it and it's like god damn people you know why yeah. why do they have to do stupid shit like that it was like it so. was like when i called you up after getting the jedi comic early and was like ah she's a sister <laughs> sister uh, dick oh <laughs> also i wanted to uh to mention that uh along with losing um along with losing shane and uh and Jim in this issue. This is also the last issue for Tony Moore as the re re uh, regular penciler and inker 
on the book. Starting uh, with the next issue, we will have uh, Charlie Adler will be the regular uh, penciler and inker. Now, Tony Moore does stay on for a long, long time as the cover artist, but he will no longer be doing the interiors after this particular issue. I just thought that was worth noting, and, uh, bringing it all back to Walking Dead. And I think even though, um, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure, get into this in the next, I'm sure the art will be in a good chunk of what we talk about next time, but it's a smooth transition, even though they're two different, totally different kind of artists. It's, it works. They, it, it works. And, uh, yeah, that's about all I gotta say about this episode. Issue. Yep. Me issue too. episode, I guess... You guys will just have to get used to us using those words interchangeably because it just sort of happens. You know, we're working as hard as we can to say adaptation instead of adaption. No, I'm going back to adaption. <laughs> just to be that way. <laughs> All right. So we'll be back in another month with some more comic-y goodness, and we'll be back in another week with... Oh, who knows what it'll be. It'll be our free-for-all next week. Freak-for-all. Yeah, and who knows what we'll spit out in between. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email us directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the 2 True Freaks podcast. The 2 True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U. But wait, there's more! Two True Freaks is very proud to present a sensational new group, Direct from Boston and performing their new song, Cemetery Eyes, Here's Hatch. Cemetery in your eyes Hypnotize, realize Before you die Whoa, whoa, whoa.
day It's all going down in your mind The stars and sun drift away What can I say? I'm still right here doing more time Cemetery in your eyes Hypnotize, realize Before you die Whoa, 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 whoa. And now you say you're okay The end of your day It's all going down in your mind The stars in sun, drift away What can I say? I'm still right here doing more time You can check Hatch out at myspace.com slash one hatch band. That's myspace.com slash the number one H-A-T-C-H-B-A-N-D. That's myspace.com slash one hatch band, where you can learn more about the band, sample more of their great music, and even buy their new CD. And tell them Two True Freaks sent you.